Before we move on to the Word, one more time we're going to go to the Lord in prayer. Just ask that He be with me, be with you, just be with us during the service. Amen. Heavenly Father, we just thank You for Your goodness once again. We thank You that You are our everything, God. You didn't leave us lacking. You didn't leave us in need. It's why while you hung on the cross, you said it's finished because you've given us everything we need pertaining to life and godliness. So we thank you that we're a blessed people and a filled people this evening. So tonight, Father God, we pray that your anointing would be in this place, that you would rest upon me as you always do, God. You'd fill my mouth, fill my heart, fill my mind, fill my body with your power, with truth, with revelation. With your spirit, Father God, fill your people as well. I pray, God, that you would give them ears to hear, as I always pray, hearts that are willing to receive, God, that you would come against every distraction, every hindering spirit, everything that would try to snatch away the seeds of salvation. And let us receive your word tonight, God. Let us receive it with gladness that it would spring forth in our lives, O God, and bring forth fruit according to the series that we're even in tonight. We thank you for your goodness and that you are our everything. We give you the praise in Jesus' name. Everyone said, Amen. You might be seated. Tonight, like I said, we're going to continue toward the end of our series on the fruit of the Spirit, which is taken from Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 to 23, which tells us that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And it goes on to say, against which there is no law. Amen? And before I even move on to goodness and kindness tonight, I'm going to do the two of those together because they're so similar. I'm not going to get into the Greek and the Hebrew like I have, but I want to just show you some characteristics and attributes of kindness and goodness this evening. But first, I want us to remember that against all of these virtues that we've looked at, the virtues that I just mentioned, the virtues that Paul outlines in verses 22 to 23, against these virtues there is no law. Against the the fruit of the flesh, church, there is judgment. Against the fruit of the flesh, there is condemnation. Against the fruit of the flesh, there is wrath, church, and there is punishment. But against the fruit of the Spirit, the Bible says, against the virtues of heaven, against the character of Christ, there is no law. And I hope we understand that, church. I hope we understand that against these virtues, no law was ever written against these virtues, against the the fruit of the Spirit, church. Therefore, and here's what I want you to understand as we go through this, therefore, the person that has these virtues flowing in their life, The individual that has these virtues flourishing and being produced in their life is the freest individual you can find. The individuals that have these things, they're the freest individual. They're free from guilt. They're free from shame. They're free from condemnation. They're free from judgment. They're free from wrath. They're free from worry and all of these things because against these virtues, there is no law. How many of you know that he whom the Son sets free is free indeed? Amen? That's the reality. How many of you know because of Christ and Christ alone, we are free? And it's also because of Christ and Christ alone that we're able to bear the bear this fruit that I will call the fruit of freedom as well. We call it the fruit of righteousness. We can call it the fruit of the Spirit, but it is also the fruit of freedom. And if we have these fruits flourishing in our life, you'll find yourself freer than you've ever been before. Amen? Because you're not under the punishment or the law, you're under freedom. The Bible says, if you abide in me and me in you, you will bear fruit. Amen? John 15, 5. 1 Peter 2, 21 to 24 says, to this you were called, called to bear fruit and fruit that will last. Because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. The steps of love. The steps of joy, the steps of peace, the steps of patience, the steps of kindness and goodness, which we'll look at tonight, the steps of faithfulness and the steps of gentleness and the steps of self-control, which we will look at in the weeks to come. But what you and I need to understand is that it's what each and every one of us have been called to We've been called to bear this fruit that we're learning about. We've been called to bear these virtues and to have these virtues produced in our lives. We've been called to bear the fruit of righteousness. The last virtue that we looked at, and I'm not going to preach it again, but I want to catch us up because we missed a week, was the fruit of patience. 
The word hypomone, which meant bearing up under difficulty, and macrothymia, which meant to wait and watch for God to move on our behalf. It means being still and knowing that He is God. As we've learned over the last two weeks when we talked about patience, what we've learned is that patience says, God, I give you the problem, and God, I give you the person. I give you my feelings and I give you my emotions. I give you my hurt and I give you my headache and I give you my heartache. I, I give you my situation and I, I give you my circumstance and I'm going to be still and know that you're God in the midst of it. Amen. I'm going to be still on and, and wait on you to act. It's what patience does. And patience is love standing still waiting for God to move. Love or patience is love being quiet, waiting for God to speak. You see, the reality is so often we come into the presence of the, God, eh, the presence of the Lord and we're not able to stand still and we're not able to be quiet. You see, the reality is sometimes when you come into the presence of God, the best thing you can do is shut your mouth and listen. Sometimes the best thing we can do is to come into the presence of the Lord and allow Him to speak into our lives. And it's what patience does. It stands still and it is quiet and it waits for God to move and it waits for God to speak. It it says God, it it, it trusts that God knows what He's doing. Amen? It says God, patience says, God, I trust you in my circumstance. I trust you in my situation. I trust you in my trial. I, I trust you in my tribulation. I'm giving it to you and I'm being still and trusting that you are God. How many of you know God knows best what's best for you? Amen. And sometimes we've got to be willing to be still and know and be still and listen. Amen. That's the last virtue that we looked at. Patience is love standing still and being quiet, but kindness and goodness, however, are love expressed. Kindness and goodness are are love expressed in word and and love expressed in deed. Kindness and goodness are love put into action. And this is what we're going to look at this evening. Tonight I want to look at five quick characteristics or attributes of kindness and goodness, church, as outlined in Luke chapter 10, verses 30 to 35, surrounding the story of the Good Samaritan. The Samaritan that had the fruit of goodness and kindness growing all over his life. When you read this passage of Scripture, you'll find that this good Samaritan, his life was rich and ripe with the fruit of the Spirit in his life, and so should ours be. But specifically, we find that this good Samaritan's life was filled with the good fruit of kindness and goodness. And it's what I want to challenge us with, or what the Holy Spirit wants to challenge us with tonight. This is what what we need to understand is that the, the fruit of goodness and kindness that was evident in his life is what made him the good Samaritan. The Bible didn't call him the bad Samaritan. It called him the good Samaritan because goodness and kindness was evident in his life. How many of you remember, they will know us by our fruit, amen? And the reality is this man was known by the good fruit that he was bearing. The Bible tells me that that a good tree brings forth good fruit. It's why he was called the Good Samaritan because he had goodness and kindness growing all over his life. Because when you look at his life and you look what he did in this passage of Scripture, you'll find that his life and the soil of his soul was rich and ripe with the fruit of goodness and kindness, with the fruit of righteousness and the fruit of the Spirit in His life. And it's exactly what God has called us to be, rich and ripe with the fruit of kindness and goodness in our lives. What we, if the reality is, listen, if you want to be called good, you've got to bring forth some good fruit, amen? If you want to be called righteous, you've got to bring forth some righteous fruit in your life. Because the Bible, again, says a good tree doesn't bring forth bad fruit, and a bad tree don't bring forth good fruit. If you want to be called a good woman, you want to be called a good wife, you want to be called a good husband, you want to be called a good father, you want to be called a good mother, you want to be called a good believer and a good saint, a good Christian, then you and I need to allow the fruit of goodness and kindness to be produced in our lives. They will know us by our fruit. So here's the Word of God, Luke chapter 10. That's the foundation. Luke chapter 10, verses 30 to 35. Jesus replied with an illustration. With an illustration. And he said, and I'm not going to take the time, but this is what he replied to. What did he reply to? He replied to an individual that came to him and said, Master, what must I do to be saved? It's not like I spoke on on Sunday where someone said, What must I do to inherit? It wasn't the rich young ruler. This was a teacher of the law that came to him and said, What must I do to be saved? 
And Jesus entered into a conversation, and, and in that conversation, he said, you need to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as himself. And what did this, what did this uh, teacher of the law do? He said, well, who's my neighbor? He tried to narrow his responsibility. So Jesus then at this, and this is what we tend to do. Well, well, who's my neighbor, God? Who am I responsible for? Who do I need to love? Who do I need to be kind to? Who do I need to be good to? Who do I need to be patient with? Who do I need to love? Who do I need to, to understand? Who do I need to be gentle to? And this is why Jesus teaches this story. He tells us exactly who our neighbor is. And this is what he says. Jesus replied with this illustration. A Jewish man was traveling on a trip from Jerusalem to Jericho and he was attacked by bandits. Bandits that demonstrated the fruit of the flesh. Bandits that demonstrated the the, the rotten fruit of this world. Bandits that demonstrated the the filthy fruit of this earth. Bandits that that made the, the fruit of the flesh obvious in their life instead of the fruit of the Spirit. I want you to understand just like the Good Samaritan was known... By his good deeds, these bandits were known by their bad deeds. Why do you think they were called bandits? Because their life was filled with rotten fruit. If you want to be called something good, you gotta have good fruit. If you want a good name, you gotta, you gotta have some good fruit. Understand? So what we have to ask ourselves from time to time is what are people calling me? What's my name? What's attributed to who I am? Because the kind of fruit that you bear in your life will be what you're called. If you, if, if you, if you don't have the fruit of self-control and you fly off at every, at every uh, single comment or every single event in your life, you understand what I'm saying? You're going to be called an individual with a temper. These individuals were called bandits because they were named according to the fruit that was born in their life. But on the opposite side, you have the good Samaritan who was called a good Samaritan because of the good fruit that was being produced in his life. And here's what you need, here's, here's what it says. They, the bandits, stripped the man of his clothes and money They beat him up and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a Jewish priest came along, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed over to the other side of the road and passed him by. Here we have a priest. Here we have an individual that's supposed to stand between. He's the representation that stands between God and man and man and God. The priest is supposed to to bring man before God and he's supposed to present God before man. But what does this priest do? Now, what does this priest do? The Bible says he walks by on the other side. He didn't want to be inconvenienced. He didn't want to dirty himself. He didn't want to deny himself. And the Bible says he passed by on the other side. How often is that like us, church? How often do we, want to, do we not want to be inconvenienced? How often do we ignore the need? How often do we walk by? How often do we fail to respond to the need that is right there in front of us in our life? It's exactly what the priest did. And unfortunately, so often we do the same thing. We fail to bear the fruit of kindness and goodness, which the Good Samaritan did. What we have to realize here is that this priest in this entire story never bore the fruit of the Spirit in his life. He never brought forth good fruit. He never was a representation of the character of Christ. And the Bible says that a temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there as well. But he also passed by on the other side. He also failed to produce the fruit of goodness and kindness. He also failed to to produce the the fruit of the Spirit in his life. He he also failed to be a right representation of the kingdom of God and, and of Jesus Christ. He too failed to bear good fruit. But then a despised Samaritan came along and when he saw the man, he felt deep pity, the Bible says. Kneeling beside him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with medicine. He used wine and oil and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day he handed the innkeeper two pieces of silver and told him to take care of the man. And he said, if this bill runs higher than these two pieces of silver, I'll pay you the difference the next time I'm here. And the very first thing that I want you to see about kindness and goodness, about its attributes, church, and its characteristics, is that they feel something. You see, what you need to understand about the the, the fruit or the virtue or the character of kindness and goodness, according to this passage of Scripture, they feel something deep down inside the soil of 
your soul. They feel something in the, in the center of the heart. The, the Bible says, look at verse 33. The good Samaritan felt deep pity for the man in need. He didn't have some superficial sorrow for him. He had deep pity for him. You see, the reality is this man saw something. The Bible says he saw the man's need and something moved in the soil of his soul. Something stirred him. Something grieved him. Something hurt him deep down inside the soil of the soul. He saw a need and something happened in the, in the center of his soul and in the center of his heart. And the reality is if we have true kindness and goodness flourishing in our lives, if we have true uh, goodness and kindness saturating the soil of our soul, when we see a need, we should be moved. When we see a need, when we see a hurt, when we see someone that needs to be, to, to be healed, when we, when we see the need for restoration, something should happen deep down inside the soil of our soul. We shouldn't have some superficial sorrow. We should absolutely be moved and grieved by what we see, by what we hear. We should feel the, what they feel. This is what happened to this man. He felt deep pity for him, the Bible says. And I could get into the Greek and the Hebrew to give you an understanding, but the, the best way I can tell you is deep down inside, something happened, church, when he saw this man in need. And we as Christians should be the same exact. We should be moved by the needs that we see around us. We should hurt over the hurting. We should, we should, we should grieve over those that, that, that need help, that have a need in their life. This is what we have to understand. It's what kindness and goodness do. They feel something, church. The priest and the, the temple assistant felt nothing toward this man. And so often we're just like that. So often we, we see a need and we feel nothing. We see the hurting and we feel nothing. We see a prayer need come across the computer and I'll get to that later. We, we watch the news and we watch all the, the things that are going on in this world. We watch the evil. We watch the corruption. We watch the murders. We watch all of these things that are taking place and we, we become so seared to it. It doesn't move us. It doesn't hurt us. It doesn't grieve us, church. But we need to be like Jeremiah who wept over the spiritual condition of the people. This is what kindness and goodness do. They see a need and it's greed and they grieve, church. And this is what has to happen within you and me. We need to be moved by the, the needs of other individuals. We need to be moved by the things that we see going on around us. Because if we, if we, here's what you need to understand. If we're not moved in here, if we're not moved in the soil of our soul, we're not going to be moved to do anything else. This man was moved to do something else only because he was moved in the soil of his soul. And I'm going to get to that in just a second. But please, here, here's what you need to see. The, the priest and the temple assistant. Please get this. The priest and the temple assistant. They felt no pity for the man. They felt no care. They felt no concern. They felt no responsibility towards this fallen man church. They felt no obligation. And it's exactly why they were able to pass by on the other side without doing a single thing, without lifting a single finger, without caring or tending to this man that was fallen church. They, they felt nothing. The, the reality is because they felt nothing, they did nothing. Their hearts were hardened. Or their hearts were focused on the wrong thing. Or their hearts were more worried about their need than, the, than, the, than it, they were about the need of this man who was lying on the ground half dead, the Bible says. And because they felt nothing, they did nothing. And the reality is the last place you and I can ever afford to be is in that place where we feel nothing. The last place you and I can ever afford to be in our spiritual life is where we, where our, where we aren't moved. Where we're not grieved. By, by either our sin or by the things that are going on around us in, in this world, church. We should be grieved and, and, and weep over the abortion. We should be grieved and weep over homosexuality. We should grieve and weep over those things that, that just grieve the heart of God. And the last place we can afford to be as sons and daughters of God is in that place where we feel nothing. Why? Because if we feel nothing, we will do nothing. The reality is the reason that there's so many people in the house of God doing nothing for the kingdom of God is because they feel nothing in here. They're not grieved. 
They don't have a broken and a contrite heart over their own sin or the sins that are going on around them. They're not grieved and broken over the corruption that's filling the world and filling their society that seems to be overtaking the land church. You see, if you want to be good, you've got to, you've got to feel something. If you want to be like the good Samaritan, you've got to feel enough deep down in the soil of your soul that it moves you to do something, church, because if you don't feel anything, you're not going to do anything. If we feel nothing, we'll do nothing, and that's not good. One of the reasons, I believe with all of my heart, that we're not seeing souls saved like we should is because we're not grieving over the lost. We're not weeping over the lost. When's the last time, honestly, I had to ask myself the same thing. When's the last time I grieved over the lost? When's the last time I wept over the lost? When's the last time you found that place when you, you go to the workplace and, and you weep and you hurt and you're grieved over the, the, the spiritual condition of the individuals around you? When's the last time? The, and the reality is, listen, if you don't feel anything, you're not going to do anything. If you don't feel anything towards your coworker, you're going to witness to your coworker. You're going to open up the Word of God to your coworker. You're going to make yourself available to your coworker. You're going to demonstrate kindness and no way you're not going to do that. But if you begin to feel something, if you begin to ask God to make you sensitive to the need that's around you, if you ask Him to begin to till the soil of your soul so that kindness and goodness can begin to cultivate itself in the soil of your soul, I promise you, you'll become like the Good Samaritan and you will do something concerning the needs that are surrounding you. Please understand, kindness and goodness are the greatest evangelistic tool we can find because they do something. But we're not doing things because we're not feeling things like we should. And we need to ask God to begin to cultivate that in our lives. Listen, one of the first reasons that the Samaritan was considered good was because he felt something. He felt deep pity. He was sensitive to the, to the spirit. He was sensitive to the need. He was sensitive to the situation. Listen, when you feel something, what do you think it is that's doing the stirring? When your heart is moved, when your heart is hurt, when something's happening deep down inside the soil of your soul, who do you think that is that's doing that? It's the Spirit of God trying to get your attention. It's the Spirit of God trying to stir you into action. It's the Spirit of God trying to cultivate kindness and goodness in the soil of your soul so that you can be food and healing like we've learned in the past. You see, the reality is your workplace has some people that are hungry, hungry for freedom, hungry for help, hungry for mercy, hungry for grace, hungry for for something. You, you, you're surrounded, you and I are surrounded by individuals that need healing in their life. But if we don't have this fruit of kindness and goodness, we can't be the food and we can't be the healing church. And this is what the Holy Spirit wants to teach us. If you want to be food and you want to be healing, then we've got to allow that food and that healing to be cultivated in our own life through the spirit of kindness and goodness. Here's what we have to understand. He felt something And because of it, he did something, church. And the very first thing he did was to lower himself. The very first thing he did was the second attribute or the characteristic of kindness and goodness, which is to humble itself, which is to consider others more important than itself. It's to lower itself and not exalt itself. You see, so often, those who are spiritual, you find it all through the Scripture, so often the spiritual ones exalted themselves when they should have been humbling themselves. It's like the, it's like the, the publican and the, and the Pharisee that went into the temple one day. One exalted himself. When he should have drawn near to the guy that was in need, when he should have helped him and showed compassion and showed kindness and showed goodness, he exalted himself instead of lowering himself. But the Bible reminds us which one of those two went away justified. It was the publican and not the Pharisee. You see, the reality is kindness and goodness lower themselves. It's what you and I need to understand. They, they humble themselves. They, they lower themselves. Look at it. Look at verse 34. When he saw the wounded man, the Bible says he kneeled down. He bent a knee, church, and he lowered himself. He didn't take out his daily planner and wonder if, if he could fit the man into his schedule. He kneeled down, the Bible says, beside the man. 
He didn't take out his calendar and wonder, oh, do I have time to meet this man's need? He, he lowered himself, the Bible says, and, and he kneeled down. He didn't weigh out the importance of his other daily duties. He kneeled down beside him, the Bible said. He didn't calculate costs. He didn't do all those types of things. He didn't ask himself how late his act of kindness would cause him to be. The Bible simply says he kneeled down beside the man that was in need, church. He didn't pass by on the other side. When the Samaritan saw the need, he didn't think about himself. He thought about the man. He thought about his injuries. He thought about his need. He thought about how he could help. He thought about how he could restore this man, how he could help heal this man. And he put the needs of the wounded man ahead of himself. It's what kindness and goodness do. They consider others more important than themselves, church. He considered this man's need more important than anything else. He considered this man's need more important than his own schedule. He considered this man's need more important than his own time, more important than his own reputation, more important than his own resources, more important than his own convenience, church. And we've got to do the same exact thing. He lowered himself and humbled himself, the Word says, because that's what kindness and goodness do, and so should we. Whenever we see someone in need, church, we should consider them more important than ourselves. Far too often, and I'm speaking about myself, I wonder if that need can fit into my day planner. I wonder if that hurt. I wonder if that need. I wonder if I got time for that individual. This man didn't weigh all that stuff out. All I I know, according to the Word of God, is he forgot about his schedule. He forgot about his routine. He forgot about everything that was on his plate. He saw a need. He kneeled down. He lowered himself. He humbled himself. He drew near to that man, and he helped meet a need. It's because that's what kindness and goodness do, and it's what the Holy Spirit is calling us to as well, to consider others more important. Listen, the Samaritan didn't walk by the need. He didn't ignore the need. He drew near to the need, the Bible said. He felt great pity for the man, and he kneeled beside him. You see, the reality is you've got some individuals in your life that need someone to come up beside them. You've got some individuals in your life that are all alone. They feel like everyone's turned against them. Everyone's rejected them. And they need someone to show some kindness and goodness and come up beside of them, church. They don't need people to walk away. They've had enough rejection in their life. They've had enough condemnation in their life. They've had enough guilt and and rebuke. They've got enough shame in their life. And they need someone to consider them more important than themselves and come up beside them. It's what kindness and goodness do, church. It comes up beside you. It walks with you. It carries you. It comforts you. Just like this good Samaritan did in your time of need. He drew near, church. He accepted him instead of rejecting him like the priest did. The priest rejected this man. Just walked on by. The temple assistant. Rejected the man. Just walked on by. Something else was more important, church. But what we have to understand is that this is what goodness and mercy do. They come up beside you. The reality is, listen, you can't bring healing. You can't bring help. You can't bring hope. You can't bring kindness and goodness from the other side of the street. You got to be willing to get yourself dirty you got to be willing to lower yourself. you got to be willing to get right on in there. you got to be willing to touch someone's dirt. you got to be willing to touch someone's filth. Listen, they ridiculed Jesus because He did that very thing. Hanging out with the prostitutes, hanging out with this. But Jesus was willing to touch them at their point of need. And the reality is you and me, if we're calling ourselves Christians and we want to be good, then we've got to be willing to do that same exact thing, church. And you can't do it from the other side of the street. But so often we do that. Oh, I'll say a prayer for you. Walk on by. So much ministry takes place on the other side of the street because we're afraid to get in there and get our hands dirty. Because we're afraid to risk it. We're afraid to stick our neck out. We're afraid to get involved. We're afraid to do something. And we try to do ministry from the other side of the street. It's happening far too much, church. But please listen to me. God wants you and me as a son and a daughter, to come up right beside the individual that's in need. 
not with a superficial sorrow, but with a deep pity and a deep concern for the need that they have and say, I'm praying for you. I'm here for you. Call on me when you want to call on me. I'm here for you. Not some superficial nonsense, but an individual that's really ready, really ripe and rich with the fruit of goodness and the fruit of kindness filling the soil of their soul. Please don't think you can do ministry from the other side of the street. Please don't think that you're going to be named good if all you ever do is walk on by. Don't think God's going to look down and smile upon you if you're trying to do ministry from any place other than right there beside the need. Jesus did the same thing. Jesus came right up beside us, church. Came, and he does it every day. When you have a need, listen, Jesus draws near. He comes right up beside of your need. It's what kindness and goodness do, church. We have to understand that. What we have to understand about the importance of this passage is that it teaches us that kindness and goodness will go to its knees for someone else. Kindness and goodness will go to its knees not just to its aid, not just to help, not just to do some earthly things that need to be done, but kindness and goodness will fall on its knees like the priest should have. It's what the priest's role was to call on God for the needs of the people. It's what the priest should have done, but he didn't do. But it's what goodness and it's what kindness do. It goes to its knees for other individuals. It goes to its knees for the hurting and for the helpless and for the hopeless. It goes to, to its knees for the individual that's sick and in the hospital bed. It goes to its knees for the individual that's going through trial and tribulation and turmoil in their household or in their marriage or in their mind. It goes to its knees. It begins to call out to God. It begins to cry out for comfort. It begins to cry out for help. It begins to call out the name of that individual. When's the last time you and I have gone to our knees for the individual that's hurting? When's the last time we went to our knees for the individuals that Daryl mentioned up here just a moment ago? When's the last time we went to our knees for our spouse or our children? When's the last time we went to our knees concerning our school and our government? When's the last time? We went to our knees for those that need help, church. I'm, I'm not preaching this in a condemning way. I'm just simply telling you that this is what the Holy Spirit expects of us who call ourselves Christians. To bear the fruit of goodness and kindness in our life. And what kindness and goodness do, they go to their knees on behalf of someone else. Every single one of you knows someone that has a need in their life. And I'm trusting that you've found that place on your knees, calling out their name, lifting them up before the throne room of grace so that they can find help in their time of need, church. Listen, when a brother's hurting, kindness and goodness goes to its knees on behalf of that individual. When a sister's hurting, kindness and goodness goes to its knees on behalf of that individual. When, when you know a marriage that's struggling, when you know a mind that's confused, when you know a family that's fractured, kindness and goodness makes its way to its knees and lifts that need before the throne room of grace. Why? So that restoration can be had. So that they can be satisfied. So healing can come. So that we can be, our leaves will serve as healing. So our fruit will serve as food. This is what we have to understand about this. The, the Good Samaritan, please listen. The Good Samaritan felt something and lowered himself and considered the other more important than himself. Philippians 2, 3 to 8, you all should know it. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others more important than yourself. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. You see, God wants you to know in that passage right there that He cares about your interests as well. He's not telling you to forget about your interests, to forget about your needs and forget about your concerns in life. He wants you to bring those to Him as well. But He doesn't want your time before Him to be occupied with yourself. He wants you to bring other individuals into His throne room as well. That's what that passage says. And this is the problem with us sometimes. We occupy God's time with our own needs and never bring the needs of anyone else. God, help me this. God, help me that. God, do this for me. God, do that for me. God, my marriage. God, my money. God, my this. 
And we never bring anything else before the Lord. Look at Job and the mess that he went through. Nothing was restored to him until he what? Until he brought the needs of his friends to the Lord. And when he brought the needs of his friends to the Lord, God doubled everything he used to have. You need God's goodness to be poured out into your life. Stop bottlenecking his power. Stop bottlenecking his provisions and open yourself up to to offering prayers for other individuals as well. Why? Because it's what kindness and goodness do. They carry others before the throne room of grace and not just ourselves. Looking not only to yourselves but also for the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not count equality with God something to be grasped. But he lowered himself, taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in the appearance of man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. What you need to see tonight is that Jesus considered you and I more important than himself. When we were dirty, he didn't pass by the other side. When we were unworthy, he didn't peek at our condition and walk away. It's what the temple priest did. We do it a lot. We stick our nose in the... See what's going on there. Turn our back and walk away. And far too often we talk about what we saw. Instead of praying about what we saw. We talk about the broken marriage. We talk about the broken individual. We talk about the failure. We talk about the hurt. We talk about it. But we don't go to our knees and pray about it. We don't draw near. We don't go to our knees. We don't lift them before the throne room of grace. You who are spiritual. If any man be caught in a trespass. If any man be caught broken. If any man be caught in in a sin or a trespass against God, if any man fails the Lord, you who are spiritual are to what? Restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, the Bible says. And listen, you can't have gentleness unless you got kindness and goodness. It's why the it's why the fruit of gentleness is mentioned later. Because if you don't have kindness and you don't have goodness and, 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 and something doesn't happen in the soil of your soul, listen, the reason we gossip is because nothing's ever happened right here when we see the need. The reason we pick up a phone instead of going to our knees is because kindness and goodness haven't been cultivated in our heart, church. Something hasn't moved deep down. Listen to me. I hope you're getting this. I'm not trying to be condemning. I'm just telling you that when you peek in on someone's need like the temple assistant did, I hope you're moved to do something instead of moved to just talking about it. Because if that's the case, you're not good. That's the case for me. I'm not good. This man was called the Good Samaritan because he did good things. Because the fruit of goodness and kindness. Because he did more than peek at a need and walk on by. He did something about it, which is what we're going to look at next. He, he did something about it, church. Jesus, listen. Jesus considered you and I more important than ourselves. He didn't see our dirtiness. He didn't see our unworthiness. And pass on by. He considered us more important than himself. More important than his rightful place in heaven. More important than his royal robe. More important than his royal throne and his crown. He considered us more important than himself. He saw a need in your life and my life. And he considered it more important than anything else, church. And what did he do? The Bible made it very clear. He did exactly what this good Samaritan did. He lowered himself. The Bible says it. He looked at you and me. He saw our earthly, sinful, dirty condition. He didn't put our filth up in lights. He didn't pick up the phone and start gossiping. What did he do? He lowered himself. He humbled himself. He forgot all about his royal place of glory. He saw our need and he... He considered our need more important than himself, church. And listen, you and I have to do the same exact thing. That's how we be like Christ. 
When we see a need, when we see the hopeless, when we see the hurting like Jesus did, we've got to consider them more important than um, than ourselves. He felt compassion on them and he lowered himself. Please understand, this world will only discover Christ when they discover him in you and me. When they find that special individual who's willing to, to lower themselves and draw near to the need, this, this world will discover Christ when they find goodness and they find kindness growing in our lives. Amen? Kindness is love in action. Kindness is love expressed. Kindness will give. Kindness will share. Kindness and goodness will serve and supply. Kindness, which, which is the third characteristic, will act. It's what made the Samaritan good, his willingness to act, church. He didn't just look and pass on by. He, he felt something and he acted upon it. He did something, church. His willingness to demonstrate the love of God through kindness and goodness is what made him the good Samaritan. His willingness, listen, to comfort the man. He, he, he soothed, the Bible says, his wounds. He comforted the man. He carried the man. The Bible says that he put him on his own donkey and carried him to the inn. And he cared for the man as well. And we'll look at that as we go. But listen, this is what kindness and goodness do. They act. This is what they do, church. They comfort. They carry. They care for the individuals that are around us. And like I said before, I don't want to be repetitive. You can't do that from the other side of the street. You got to be right up in there. You can't comfort someone. You can't pour oil on their wounds. You can't soothe them with the balm of Gilead from the other side of the street. You got to be right there. You can't carry the man. You can't carry the burden. You can't carry the need. You can't carry the hurt unless you're willing to get up right there under it, church. You got to be right there beside it and you can't care for someone you're not near. This man drew near to this man. He comforted him. He carried him. He cared for him. Why? It's because that's what That's what kindness and goodness do. And it's what we should be doing as well. Amen? The truth is kindness will take action when others won't act at all. Kindness will do what others won't do at all. Kindness and goodness will will go where others won't go at all, church. They'll say what others won't say at all. Listen, if this guy, if if the good Samaritan didn't have kindness and goodness, do you think he would have ever said... You think, well, first of all, the do and the say. You think he would have ever given two pieces of silver? You think he would have ever loaded this dude up on his camel and and driven him all the way back to town? No, he wouldn't have. You think he would have ever said, and if the bill's higher than two pieces of silver, I'll pay it when I get back? No, because kindness and goodness will say things others won't say. It'll do things others won't do. It'll go places others won't go. Listen. If you want the fruit of kindness and goodness to be evident in your life, you better be willing to say some things other people aren't willing to say. You better be willing to do some things other people aren't willing to do. You better be willing to go to some places other people aren't willing to go. You better be, you, you better be willing to stay right there at the point of need. You better be willing to be inconvenienced. You better be willing to rearrange your schedule you better be willing to forget about yourself so you can concentrate on the need that's right around you listen every day including me every day there is some need that we should be inconvenienced by every single day there's a need so deep and so strong that we should be inconvenienced by it. And if we're not, I don't think that we are sensitive to what's going on around us. Jesus was always sensitive to the needs that were going on around him. And the Bible shows us quite clear that, every, that he was willing, whenever that need showed up, to stop and do what, he, do what he needed to do. We need to be the same way, church, every day. Listen, I'm not telling you that your whole 24 hours of every day has to be out there. But what I am telling you is that kindness and goodness, the fruit of kindness and goodness is willing to be inconvenienced. And it's actually willing to say, God, make me aware of the needs that are out there. Make me aware of the needs that are surrounding me. Make me aware of the needs that are in the workplace. 
Make me aware of the needs that are in my own family, in my marriage, and in my kids. Listen, the reality is there's some marriages out here that the spouses don't even recognize the need in their marriage. Don't even recognize the need in their children. Why? Because they're too busy about their own thing. Because they've not asked God to cultivate the fruit of kindness and goodness in their life. And what we need to do, listen, if you want a good marriage, you've got to be kind and you've got to be good. This is what we have to understand. Again, I'm trying to move on as quickly as I can, church. But kindness will do. It acts. The fourth thing that kindness will do, and I know I'm beginning to wind this down, but kindness will pay the price. Please understand, the good Samaritan didn't examine the man's wounds and calculate the cost of tending to them. He didn't, he didn't stop over. Listen, the, the priest probably did. This might cost me my reputation. This might cost me some duties. The, the temple assistant probably did. He probably peeked in. You know, he looked. The Bible says he looked at him. He, he went over and looked at him, but he passed by on the other side too. But what you need to understand is that kindness is willing to pay the price. The good Samaritan didn't examine the man's wounds and then calculate the cost. He didn't take out his calculator and say, okay, well, this is what the wine cost. This is what the oil cost. This is what the bandages cost. This is the time that it's going to cost me. This is the, the, the travel costs or the transportation costs. He didn't sit down and add those all up and say, oh, that's too much and walked on by. He did whatever he had to do to meet this man's need. And sometimes we've got to do the same exact thing. And the reality is, listen, in your own strength and in your own abilities... You may not be able to meet the need, but that's when we've got to call on God. We've got to call on God to step in with us and help meet that need. Just because you and your own intellect and you and your own power and you and your own abilities can't meet the need doesn't mean you ignore it. It means that you call on the one that is Jehovah Jireh, our provider. It means you call on the individual that has the power to meet the need, church. Sometimes God will ask you to meet the need out of what you have and what you're capable of doing. But sometimes He'll ask you to meet the need based on what He and He alone can do. He just needs a vessel to do it through, church. This man happened to have the time. This man happened to have the money. But there's times that God will ask you to do something you can't do on your own. And if you can't do it on your own, you can't afford to walk on by. Even more you got to pray. Even more you got to ask God, God, I can't meet this need on my own. But, but God, I know you brought this need across my path for a reason. I know you brought this individual into my path for a reason. And, and I just want to be that miracle that's waiting to happen. So whatever you need to do in me, whatever you, you need to provide for me, whatever you need to or want to do through me, do it, God. This should be our prayer each and every day because this is what kindness and, and goodness do, church. The price was paid even without the guarantee that the man would ever recover from his injuries. He was half dead. Half dead. A little bit of oil, a little bit of wine, and a few bandages is all that man had. But he spent it anyway without any guarantee that this man would ever get better, without any guarantee that this man would even thank him for what he did. Half dead means he was unconscious. Half dead means he wasn't even aware of what was going on. Half dead's half dead. And this man did something for a half dead man without any guarantee that he would be thankful Without ever, without any guarantee that he would be paid back. But he did it anyway. Listen, church, and the, as soon as I read that, I thought about Jesus Christ who paid a debt that he didn't know. Paid a price we couldn't pay. And he did it without the expectation of anything in return. He died anyway for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him wouldn't perish but have everlasting life. And the reality is, listen, He did it without any guarantee that you would ever love Him back. Did it without any guarantee that I would ever love Him back. 
Did it without any guarantee that I would ever fall to my knees and say, thank you, Jesus, for the things that you have done. He did it without any guarantee. Why? Because that's what kindness and goodness do. Because the Bible tells me that Jesus or God loved us with a loving kindness. And the Good Samaritan is a perfect demonstration of what God did for us. Listen, where would we be, church, if God wasn't willing to pay the price? Where would we be if God looked at us, calculated the costs, and said, I'm not going to do it. They're not worth it. They're not going to love me like they should love me. They're not going to worship me like they should worship me. They're not going to give to me like they should give to me. They're not going to serve me like they should serve me. Listen, if God would have done that, Jesus would have never came down. He would have never lowered Himself, would have never emptied Himself. But He loved us, what? With an, with an unconditional, everlasting agape love. The very first fruit that we talked about, church, without any without any expectations of anything in return. Where would we be, church? But the reality is, listen, praise God that when He looked at you and me, He saw our need and He paid the price because kindness will take action and goodness will pay the price. I'm going to start closing right here, church, because the final thing that kindness will do, it will finish what it starts. You see, when you read this passage of Scripture, you'll discover that the Good Samaritan didn't just pick up the man, bandage him up, and walk away. Just didn't put him on a horse and send him on his own way. He finished what he started. He didn't just dress his wounds and drag him to the side of the street and leave him for somebody else. Put him on his own horse, the Bible says. He took him into town. And the, the most the most important aspect of what this man did that we tend to overlook, or at least I do on here, is that he spent the night with him. He stayed there. He didn't just drop him off and go on his way. The Bible says that he spent the night by that man's side. You see, the reality is, here's, here's why I'm even saying that. Sometimes it takes a little bit more than a little hug and a little handshake. Sometimes it takes a little bit more than one phone call. Sometimes it takes a little bit more than one visit and one card. Sometimes it takes a little bit more than one prayer, church. Sometimes we've got to spend the night. Sometimes we've got to make ourselves so available that we're willing to forget about everything else and tend to that need. You see, so often we find ourselves in our busy schedules and our busy times and all of the things that surround us in life. We start something with someone, but we don't finish it. But this is what this man did. And he even said, listen, he gave him the two pieces of silver. He spent the night first caring for the man, making sure that he made it through the night. Wanted that man to know someone was there. The guy came conscious. He didn't want him to wake up in some strange place wondering where I'm at. There he was right beside him. And in the morning, he gives the innkeeper two pieces of silver. And he says, care for him. And if this isn't enough, I'll pay you when I come back. Why? Because kindness and goodness finish what they start. What was it Paul said in Philippians? I am persuaded that he who began a good work in you will finish it. Amen.